One thing the Lord has really been impressing upon my heart recently is the question, what is the church? What is the church? What is its purpose? What's it supposed to do? See, things don't work well when you use them for the wrong purpose. See, a hammer is great at nailing in nails, but it makes for a horrible paintbrush. You wouldn't ever use it that way. You would never think to use it that way. And in the same vein, many people take the church and they try to make it all kinds of things that it was never intended to be. And when the church forgets what it is, who designed it, who's in charge of it, things get weird. Things get weird. So I want to ask the question this morning, what is the church and what's it called to be? Last week, we focused on the pathway to growth as a believer using this same Acts chapter 2 text as our guide. And we highlighted that if we follow the the four main points of verse 42, which was being devoted to the word of God, to fellowship, to worship, and to prayer, we could expect to see this sanctifying effect in our lives and grow as Christians if we were indeed devoted to these things. But as I was preparing this week, I I couldn't help but to notice my, my sermon last week was incomplete. Because as the my inner expositor just wouldn't let me get away with this truth, that that verse isn't speaking about individual believers, but the church as a whole. The church as a whole. It's describing the church and what the church was doing. That all four of those catalysts for our personal growth that we described there took place in the context of a local church. And Acts chapter 2 doesn't describe rugged individual spirituality, but the assembly of believers, what they did, and the spiritual results of it. And just for clarity, I stand by every word of what I said last week. That, you know, if if you do devote yourself to those four things, you will experience the, the sanctifying effect it's designed to have. But I called my prior sermon incomplete because these things are intended to be used in their fullest effect, to their fullest extent, and be the primary emphasis of the church. See, God designed his church to be an assembly where his word is proclaimed to be a place of community where people would gather together and worship God, serve God, meet with him in prayer, and grow together in the grace of God. And God has designed this institution with everything it needs to accomplish that task. In summary, when we read Ephesians 4.12, it says that God gave us the church with all different people, with all different giftings, to to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and to build up the body of Christ. That's exactly what we were talking about last week. God gave us an institution to foster that growth in our lives and be the vehicle to take us into that growth and godliness we were talking about. And if you were reading closely, when we did read from Ephesians 4, you'll see that God gave everyone in the church a variety of different gifts were not all the same. He gave the church pastors, teachers, and evangelists to give 
to equip the saints. Now, I find that fascinating. He didn't give the pastors, the, uh, the teachers, and the evangelists to the church to do the work, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Isn't that fascinating? It's because they're not involved to do all the work, but we're all called to do our part. That's the message of the familiar one-body analogy that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a, fa- a favorite passage of ours, where you have the one body, but many members all working together for the benefit of the whole church in pursuit of these things. <laughs> I do find it unfortunate that some people try to make the church about the pastor. And it's all centered about their ministry. But the problem is, once you build an entire church or an entire ministry around one person, what happens when that person's gone someday? Nobody stays behind a pulpit forever. He either retires, dies, or goes somewhere else. I'm not going to live forever, and none of, none of us are. And... <laughs> And it's, it's, it's an important question to ask. I, I can name several churches that have folded once the celebrity pastor has left the building, as if such a thing exists. But that brings to question, who is the head of the church? Well, verse 15 of, of uh, Ephesians 4 tells us clearly, it's Christ. He's the head of the church. Not the pastor, not the session, but Christ. You know, I started, uh, I haven't told anybody this yet, I started to put together an org chart for our church, you know, just to kind of keep track of who's in charge of what, you know, just to get us a little bit more organized to point to, oh, that's this person's responsibility. And I very clearly started the very top of that chart, who's on top? It's not the session, it's, it's God. It's Jesus Christ is the head of the church because this is his ministry, his church, not the sessions, not presbyteries, certainly not general assemblies. But in totality, it belongs to Christ. You know, a number of years ago, I, uh, I was working in a warehouse and uh, my immediate supervisor told me to go ahead and take care of one project. And of course, you know, I went ahead and got started on it. But about halfway through the day, one of the top managers of the company came up to me and said, no, 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 you're not doing this. I need you to do this. What do you guys think I did? I followed what the top tier management said. <laughs> of course, one got superseded by the other. So now did that my supervisor have delegated authority over me? Yes, of course they did. That delegated authority was only delegated to them. It was the super high up that had the much higher call. And guys, this is our much higher call. This is our church's mission statement. This is what we follow. Christ is who we follow, and this is his word that guides us. Any other authority or mission statement we could come up with or dream up or put to paper is immediately superseded by this and is only, can only be as correct as what God has given his church already. And this is one of the most comforting truths when you really think about it. Because if the church belongs to Christ, and this is his ministry, 
I don't have to worry about it. It belongs to him. He's going to take care of it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Not your church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He's going to provide for it, take care of it, raise up support for it. It's not all up to me to take care of the church, nor the session, nor you guys. Because it's not ours. It belongs to him. Now, I don't get me wrong. I love this church, and I want to be a willing vessel that God can use to do great things in this church and in this ministry. But that's not the main point here. <laughs> you know, when I first came to a leadership position at my prior church, I was stressed out about everything. Because I thought, and I acted like it was all up to me. And I had to learn my lesson quickly, or else I was going to burn out real quick. I mean, it was like, wait, wait, we don't have enough of this thing? Oh, we got to order some right now. Oh, no, a Sunday school teacher just, just stepped down. What do you mean we're out of coffee? I was nervous about everything back then. But God began to show me something pretty amazing and something I so needed to learn. It was that I noticed that right after that Sunday school teacher stepped down, another one stepped up. I noticed that when I put all of my effort into one ministry idea, but we couldn't get enough volunteers to do the idea, we'd go with a simpler one. And God would bless it and show that that was his plan for us all along. That my cleverly devised plans were, was never plan A in God's economy. But he would bless what he called him to. <laughs> and you know, sometimes... I was the answer to the prayer. Sometimes I was the one called to step in. On more than one occasion, I found myself standing in front of a full Sunday school class with absolutely zero prep time. And you know what? God really shows up when you have nothing left to do but depend on him. Those were some of the best times I've ever taught a Sunday school class. Because I know that I'm not the one leaving with any of the glory. I knew who was getting the glory that day. And believe me, he did. <laughs> but that's just the thing. When it's God's ministry, he takes care of it. And some of you guys might be in that similar situation as I was. Maybe you're new to your position at the church and you're still figuring it out. You don't know how to handle certain things. God's going to take care of it. Moreover, uh, maybe the nominating committee has uh, approached you and asked you to serve somewhere you haven't served yet or called you to do something you're uncomfortable with, at least yet. And if that's you, keep these things in mind, that this isn't your ministry. It's not all up to you. It's God's Holy Spirit that equips us. And he's given you pastors, elders, and people at this church to come alongside you and equip you for that ministry. And that all things are possible through God. So long as this ministry is his ministry. Because if it is, we got nothing to worry about. So the function of the church is to be that called out assembly of believers, glorifying God and building up one another with our gifts. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. So finally, we must ask, what is the message of the church? 
Now, there's a reason why we're not immediately escorted up to heaven in chariots of fire the minute that we place our faith in Christ. There's still work to be done. There's a message that needs to be taught and that the world needs to see. Question is, what is it? Sadly, many churches forget their message and forget their purpose. I read about one church that used to have, that had this big sign in front of it. Those of you on session will know I shared this analogy before. And that big sign said, we preach Christ crucified. How's that for a powerful sign to put out in front of your church? But the problem is, as great as a statement that is, they didn't have a good buildings and grounds person. And there's this vine that started to grow. And pretty soon, it covered a word on that sign, and now it just says, we preach Christ. They took out an important word. The cru- crucified was gone. Now, many churches these days don't feel the need to speak about the crucifixion, sin, and atonement. We don't want people to feel bad about themselves by calling them sinners, even though that's who we are too. That even though I could not possibly pronounce any judgment on anyone, that I don't deserve just as much. And they say, can't we just focus on Jesus and how much he loves us? Can't we just say, we preach Christ? That's enough, right? Well, no. I mean, I just want to shake those people. How do you know the love of Christ without and discard where he showed us his love? John 15 says there's no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And where did Jesus demonstrate that? On the cross. You can't say you know the love of God if you don't know and preach the cross of Christ. That's where his love is revealed. But the vine didn't stop there. In this church scenario, it goes on, it covers another word, it goes on, and then it covers the word Christ. And now it just says, we preach. And sadly, that's what a lot of churches have been reduced to. They're still speaking, but they don't have a message. The message has left the building. Many churches all over the country have been reduced to a nice person in the pulpit telling the nice people in the pews to be nicer to each other. That's the gospel according to we preach. But that's no gospel at all. That's not good news. Uh, There's no power in that. That, That's a weak message. I, I can't live the Christian life that I'm called to be. I can't be sanctified without God's Holy Spirit within me giving me the power to be nicer. Without God's Spirit sanctifying me, I'm going to be the same selfish jerk I've always been. I need Him to change me from the inside out. But some take, take it even further. It's not just about being nice, but others, because they have no message, they say, well, we got to get involved in political action. That's what we must do as a church. That's our message. Use the church to make our world a better place. And I'm not against political action. No, I, I, somebody has to do it. 
Somebody has to go into that atmosphere and try to make the world a better place. Lord knows Congress right now isn't doing that. Did I say that out loud? I meant it. But here's the thing. I got no problem with politics as a whole. Somebody's got to get involved. Somebody has to do the work. And, you know, when the Bible touches on politics and we're going through the scriptures, we'll talk politics, we'll talk culture, we'll talk science, we'll talk whatever. And this will be our guiding light when we talk in those areas. The Bible's not wrong when it touches on those things. But that's not the goal. That is never the message of the scriptures. (laughs) Until then, unless something's done about that vine... Eventually, it covers the whole sign, and the church is emptied. They close their doors, and they are no more. You guys have seen this trend. You guys have driven around. You guys know that this is happening. I I constantly get newsletters of another church is shut down over here, or another church is shut down and closed its doors over there. And with with no message, with no Christ, without the crucifixion, You wonder why so many churches are closing and why so many denominations have become so weak. It's because that proverbial vine comes for every church unless it's resisted. Unless it's pushed back against, it comes for everyone, including this church. We must continue to preach Christ crucified, giving the whole counsel of God as we are called to do as a church. Which, by the way, is why I go verse by verse through the scriptures. It's not because I'm lazy picking out what message I want to go to. I want to make sure that what that I am emphasizing from the pulpit, what God has emphasized in his word. And if I don't miss a comma, then I can declare that, that we haven't hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God. So that when we come to a passage like Matthew 4, 17, where Jesus' message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that was the message. That our sins have separated us from God and that we could not rectify that separation with anything we can do of our own merit or work. But But that instead Jesus Christ did so for us by becoming a man, living a perfect life and dying on the cross as a substitute for our sins. So that whoever believes that he did that for them may not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message of the church. And we can't ever abandon that. Jesus is the head of the church, and that is the message that he wants proclaimed through his church. To spread that message and make disciples. None of that other stuff. Had Jesus, I find it interesting, had Jesus wanted to make his church political, he had a great opportunity to do it. I think of the time where he, uh, he was asked if people should pay taxes to Caesar. And you guys remember what he said. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render to God what belongs to God. And he showed them what is Caesar's by you know, taking a coin and saying whose inscription is on this, whose image is on this. He said, well, that's Caesar's. That's what we're to render to Caesar. So what are we to render to God? What belongs to God? Whose image is on you? 
whose image is on you. That's what we're to render to God. We're to render our whole selves to him. And that's the reason for everything we do at this church from the top down. It's all about Christ. It's all about getting this message out and ministering to others through the love that he has shown us. Christ crucified. Do you guys think that the food pantries are just about giving out food? No, not at all. (laughs) Food is the vehicle God has given to demonstrate to others the love and generosity of our Savior. And I see them nodding along. (laughs) I'm not testifying to this. That's the truth. Same with the deacons and the missions team. They are helping the less fortunate by demonstrating the love and generosity of God through their efforts. Until you guys haven't lived, until you've been on the phone with someone and told them that the church can help them. And they just start breaking down in tears. Or that when you hand somebody who's struggling enough to get them through the week, And they just break down and sob saying, why are you so nice? Why are you doing this? Nobody else is like this. And just getting to smile and show, my friend, this is just a fraction of the love that God has shown me. We just want to give a fraction of it back to you. That makes God look glorious. That's why we do what we do here. So as we begin to wrap up, if this church is our church, we got problems. We got problems. It's up to us to provide for it. It's up to us to create cleverly worded mission statements, rope people in with spectacular events that mystify people, and make the pastor as entertaining as possible. (laughs) Good luck with that. I am many things. Entertaining isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. But if this church is God's church, if this is a church of Jesus Christ, God's going to provide for it. Jesus has promised, I will build my church. He will provide. And if we simply, it simply becomes our duty to steward his vision follow his mission statement, preach his message, and he will build his church. Thanks be to God. Amen.